Welcome back to another episode of the Hockey News on the E! podcast. I'm Jacob Stoller from the Hockey News, alongside my co-host Justin Cohn from the Fort Wayne Journal-Gazette. And we are joined by a special guest, a friend of the show, our only recurring guest that we've had so far, Senior VP of Hockey Ops, Joe Ernst, uh, the ECHL. Joe, how are we doing? I'm doing well, guys. How about yourself? doing pretty well pretty well i mean how much like how did justin bribe you to come on again i'm just curious you can say it i mean it's just going on the internet no I, he didn't bribe me i'll actually I, I listened to it last week and i said if you need some clarification on some of the stuff i said i'd be more than happy to uh to answer some some questions um so that's how it happened so i put myself out there actually I like it. I like it. You, you know, Justin usually tells us like guests want to come on, but we don't really believe him. So it's nice to know that that you were chomping on the bit to come on. Before we get to that stuff, you know, we're down to four teams in the Kelly Cup playoffs: Idaho, Toledo, Flora, Newfoundland. Just what are your general thoughts been about the the Kelly Cup playoffs so far this year? You know what? The it's been weird. The first round was really really good, competitive. Um, we yeah. had gee six. Six series won six games, and then last round it was pretty much you know the 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 round of you know teams getting out to three old leads and and um, at one point in time the visiting teams the road teams I should say were were eight and zero to start the series, which was kind of crazy. Um, and then you know a few teams on the home ice won, but it was it was a little bit weird where you know the road teams won. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head what it was. I wrote the numbers down, but. Road teams dominated last round, which was which is kind of weird. I thought they'd be a little bit closer, um, but it just happened to to kind of go that way this round, or last round, I should say. Well, let's uh, let's backtrack a little bit here to the division semifinals because obviously yeah. that's been a big talking point, and uh, you know I'll just catch people up for uh, for those who don't remember. But uh, Fort Wayne was playing Cincinnati. There was a bit of a uh, controversial ending, if you will, to Game Seven with. 111 remaining at Cincinnati. Uh, Fort Wayne scored a goal. It was a Darian Kelb shot that was redirected by uh, Oliver Cooper. And it was overturned after video review when it was determined that goaltender Beck Warm was interfered with by Sam Dove McFalls. Uh, so that's the brief synopsis here. We have a, a quick couple of video clips that we're going to show so people can see it. It's two different views. Uh, first, uh, the goal from uh, a wide angle and then a overhead of the uh, of the review and now the cyclone steel cannot clear it darian kelba wrist shot they score and the comets score with one are they looking at this oh my they are wow Okay, so obviously, uh, you know, this is a, a monumental call. It's a, it's a game seven right before overtime. Uh, if Fort Wayne had somehow won that series, it would have been considered a, a fairly large upset. So, uh, Joe, the, the floor is yours. First, can you tell us why was this the correct call to uh, determine this was goaltender interference and, and uh, reverse that? So if you would back, I think you, are you the one that has the video? If you're the one that has the video, if you back it up to where he comes from, comes through right there where he makes contact where the goaltender is in his crease. So as soon as he makes contact with the goaltender there, where if you backed up a little bit, you would see his glove was over to his left and it gets right there. It starts and it goes through and he gets his left shoulder and he takes his left shoulder where the goaltender is in his crease, not 
the goaltender is not initiating contact, that's where the contact comes in the, in the play on on that uh, on that goal. So I think the the biggest single question that I get, you know, just to respond to that is, you know, are you a hundred percent that Sam Dove McFalls is in the blue here, or is that not? Um, you know, the determining factor necessarily. No, because the goalie's in, the goalie's in his crease. So if the goalie was out of his crease, say he was, he was out of his crease and he was initiating contact with him, mm-hmm. then we'd have a different story. But he's in his blue, putting his glove up, and the contact was initiated by the Fort Wayne player coming through um, and getting, getting his glove and getting his, his uh, left shoulder there. Um, to, I mean, I'll, I'll say spin, but just kind of move him a little bit. And that's where... That's where the contact is made, where the goaltender's in his in his crease, um, and the contact is made. So you you already said that you know you felt um, you know the contact was initiated by the Fort Wayne player. Yeah. Um, you know, one other thing that you know I hear a lot was compared to other plays in that series, mm-hmm. partic- particularly uh, Game Six the night before. You know, yep. this seemed very mild by comparison. Yep. Do you? Uh, does that factor into things at all or does that, you know, is that an element at all? So there's obviously a couple of different things. So obviously this was a goal scored here on this play. Um, if there was no goal scored, there would be nothing to happen. There wouldn't be a penalty. There wouldn't be anything there. It's just a matter of now we're taking the goal away because there was contact with the goalie in the crease. Um, and there was a play that you would remember, and I don't have the video handy, uh, game five on that Sunday in Fort Wayne where Fort Wayne scored a goal um, which it should have technically been, and, and our supervisor, which we'll get into that later, um, at the game, told Fort Wayne after the game, the coaching staff, that it shouldn't have been a goal. Um, and they didn't want to believe him. And he literally went down and said, I'm just telling you, like, that shouldn't have been a goal. Um, it was a similar, not a similar play to this, but there was there was a play at the net where um, we allowed the goal, which it shouldn't have been allowed um, in that situation. Um, so they were, they were told about that. Uh, they didn't want to believe him. Timmy went down and told him that we, you know, we got the call wrong. And, and, um, and in this situation, uh, fortunately, we got it right. Uh, I mean, I, I'd be the first to admit if we got it wrong, to be honest with you, because uh, video doesn't lie. But in this case, you know, and even speaking with the, the, the war room, um, we got it right. And believe me, it's, um, if I'm a Four Wayne fan, I spoke to Michael Franke on the phone. If I was the owner of the team, I'll be honest with you, I would be PO'd myself and being very competitive and everything else. Um, but it's just that it's, you know, it's just a matter of like, that's the correct call. And we could spin it the other way and say, we didn't review it and it should have been goalie interference. Um, and Fort Wayne wins in overtime. Then we have, we got to defend it to Cincinnati of why we didn't the other way. Um, so at the end of the day, it's a no win situation. Um, but at the, at the end of the day, they, they got the call, right? Does it stink? Absolutely. It stinks. It's one, it's one, nothing with a minute, 11 seconds left in the game. And, and, the last thing the officials want to do, and I can put myself in that situation as a referee, last thing you want to do, and even in management, we're sitting up there and, and we get late in the game or we get in overtime. We say, like, hope it's a penalty that Ray Charles could call. And we hope that, you know what, it's a clean goal that goes in. Because the last thing we want to do is have a controversial goal and or a penalty that, like, it should have, should have been, shouldn't have been a penalty. And then it's a power play goal and the game is over. So, it's, it's tough. And like I said, it stinks. And, you know, I spoke to Michael uh, Frankie about it afterwards and he was the utmost professional um, on phone call. I talked to him a couple of days later and um, just, you know, just explained to him. So it was the right call. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it stinks that we had to make that call with 
one eleven left in a one nothing hockey game at the end of the day. Um, let, let me ask you a question, Joe. At what point, like when he, when the goaltender gets interfered with there, at what point if he resets and the a puck doesn't go towards him, does that become a non-call? Is it just because there was a goal, as you said? Like, what if that happened and then there was a rebound? Like, how, where's the line there? So if, if that would have came, like if he would have went through, um, yeah. just say he went through and the puck wasn't coming from the point, say it went over point to point, down maybe to the slot and then out to the down, out to right. the maybe went down and then it was a pass to the slot. Maybe we, you know, then, then there's enough time for him to reset. But by the time he gets he gets pushed this way and he's going back, he's not even reset, right? Like, next thing you know, the puck is by him. Um, so it was a matter of a okay. shot from the point. Um, and, and, and listen, it's it was the perfect storm. To be perfectly honest with you, it was the, it was the perfect storm that could have happened. Um, and one that, you know, we, we wish we wouldn't have to deal with, but um, we, we had to deal with it. Um, and, I mean, I give the guys credit, obviously, from a review standpoint, and maybe we'll get into this, you want to get into it later, but from a review standpoint, we don't have a coach's challenge. The one line was over by the over by the bench area, um, waiting, and then he went over. Um, and obviously the Cincinnati bench was, uh, Jason was saying, are you reviewing it? But, but Chris hadn't left the bench area yet because of the goal being scored and going over by the guys going, to, you know, doing their, their line thing at the bench and everything else. Um, then they went over and, and they, uh, and, and they re- reviewed the, uh, reviewed the play. If the linesman can say from outside the blue line, cause sometimes they get a better look that something doesn't look right. Um, and say to the referees, did you guys get a good look? And if they say, well, we didn't maybe get a good look on it, then we go and uh, go and review it. Can you guess behind the scenes of how this call's made? Like I know there's a supervisor of officials, is he on the phone? Like who? Who is on the other line of the phone? I was. Okay, so where are you? Are you at home? I was sitting in my reclining chair in my living room, to be honest with you. And I had my, so I had my iPad. And if you watch Flow, you're a little bit delayed on Flow um, on my iPad. And it went in. The puck went in. And I'll be honest, I got the first angle that we just seen. And yeah. so you really can't tell what happened. You're just like, okay, tie hockey game. We're probably heading to overtime. And so this is the Flow feed that I get here so I have no idea right like no no idea what's going on and I'm I'm behind from the live version right like I I have no idea so I'm sitting there and Timmy Mayer who was our supervisor at the game had called me and he said hey um, we're under review here and I said well let me go back to my office quick because I you can't rewind on on my iPad so I'm like all right let me go back to let me go back to my computer to see and then I just said, hold on, they're showing it. They, were, they showed a replay live on Flow Sports, the overhead and everything else. So I was literally talking to him on the phone. And I said to him, I said, in my opinion, that's no goal. And I waited on the phone with him until, like, as Justin, I think, mentioned last podcast, that the review went for quite a long time. So I was waiting, waiting. And then he said, they're coming back. And, and that's when they said no goal. And, and uh, I hung up the phone with him. So he was, he was on the phone with me. Um, under no circumstances was he talking to to anybody from the the off ice. I mean, we have the off ice. I have the off ice crew chief's number, but at the end of the day, Justin, probably you know that uh, Cliff is sitting probably right next to Timmy if he was down at the lower lower um, table down there in, in Cincinnati. So um, so Timmy was he was talking to me on the phone, and I had no contact with the officials or anything. They had a headset on, talking to the communications guys upstairs to, to show replays and everything else. Um, and that's that was it. But he was he was Terry Mayer was talking to me on the phone. Okay, so yeah, I think that's a great point of clarification that I get asked a lot, which yeah. was was the call one hundred percent? Not just this call, any call 
made yeah. made by the, the the guys on the ice, not yeah. you know consulting with uh, with uh, with with the guys in, in Wheeling, West Virginia, or in, yeah. or in Princeton, New Jersey, right? Yeah, it's and it's painful because there'll be sometimes where we're sitting up there and and we think it's something else, or I might be watching at home or on the road wherever I could be, and and you know even if especially if I'm there, like I'm going to Idaho this weekend, and and something happens, I don't have a say in in what happens it's the guys on the ice um we'll answer to the good bad or indifferent afterwards but it's the guys uh the guys call on the ice we don't have the quote-unquote war room um well we can clip them uh riley and myself can clip them from from sporphy and the overheads uh, after they've reviewed it but we don't even have access um to overheads until it's already been clipped and then we could then we can watch the overhead can i ask one quick question here sure um were you like watching Netflix with your family or something in the background? And then you're like, hold on, honey. I got like, I got, I got the game on the line. Like, well, no. give me a bit of a visual. You're in your recliner. Give me a bit of a visual. It's happening behind the scenes. Everyone I, thinks you're I just had a vision. I just was sitting in my recliner with the, my iPad. That was it. Um, I think I had gotten back. I was in Jacksonville on Tuesday for game six. So I couldn't make it over to Cincinnati. I actually, actually flew home on Wednesday because game six with the Jacksonville series was on Tuesday. So I couldn't get over to Cincinnati for game seven. Um, cause Timmy was there. So I was like, you just stay there. And then, uh, probably had an NHL game on, uh, my TV and stuff, but paying attention to our game cause it was game seven. And then, and then it just kind of, you know, um, it was a matter of, uh, getting some text messages and, uh, and kept the commissioner involved or let Ryan know what was going on and sent him the video and, and, uh, away we went. And I, I actually talked to Timmy Mayer after the game. Um, this is his first year going through supervision with us and, um, he wanted to know pretty much how to handle it. And I said, you know, cause Ben had been texting him. Um, and I said to him and Justin would know in Cincinnati, it's not the best area because the coach's office is in the locker room. And I said, you are not going in the locker room. So I said, text him back and say, you'll meet him in the hallway because that's where you can at least have a conversation. And, and, uh, and he went down there and, and he spoke to Ben and, and, uh, you know, they, they, I mean, listen, they're not, ha- they weren't happy. Like if you're competitive and everything else, you're not going to be happy if, if he's happy and he lost, then there's something wrong with him. To be perfectly honest with you, um, we just asked to be respectful and and professional on, on things. But um, so we went down there and he and he and he handled it um, from a supervision standpoint, and um, and that was that was the end of it. One quick question, just so people understand, because if I'm remembering correctly, um, they did show some replays on the scoreboard before yep. it went to the actual review. Um, uh, are the referees or the linesmen, are they allowed to look at a different angle before they decide there's a review or do they have to stick 100% to Sporphy and what they're looking at in the pre- penalty box? Um, you know, I, yeah, we have two light, we have two angles. So we have the live view that the two angles that you seen. So we have the live view um, because we, we implemented the live view. I think it might've been three years ago because we implemented the goalie interference. So our overheads weren't picking up, something that might have happened outside the hash marks. So we picked up the live view to be able to, to, to see, um, you know, was a guy pushed because with the overhead, you just see a guy flying into the net possibly. And you have no idea, did he blow a tire or did he get pushed? So, so now we have the live view. And uh, so the live feed that comes in through sport feet, and then we have the, uh, the overhead cameras, but, but that's can, all we have. But can they look at the scoreboard before they've even decided to review and like sort of catch something out of the out of the corner of their eye and say, "Oh wait, we need to go look at that." 
I mean, they, I don't, they, I don't, I don't know if that might, happened here, but what, uh, they they might. You know, it depends if you know if a if a building shows replays. I bet you if it's a visiting goal, they're going to show a bunch of replays. If it's a home goal and right. it's close, they're not going to show. Like that's just how it goes. But the rules are too is that once we get the replay, like so in that situation, they probably showed the they probably showed the and I wasn't in the house you were, but like they probably showed the live version and then they might have showed an overhead quick, and then then when they go to well, then we when we go to replay they're not really supposed to show any uh, any replays up on the board now do teams do yes um and everything else but our guys are um, going to make the decisions on the on the overheads and there's some buildings where like in cincinnati you would have to almost be at the bench area kind of looking way up right um and you know it's not the huge jumbotron like we have in some some buildings as well that I'm not really sure they would get a really good. They wouldn't be able to make a decision probably off of, off of the uh, the video board there. Well, I mean, when when you were last on the show, you know, it, it was almost prophetic because we talked a little bit about goaltender interference and how it wasn't your favorite, and yeah. and I, you said, you know, to uh, to paraphrase that you were were giving the goalies a little too much help. Yeah. Um, I mean, <laughs> you know, this. I haven't changed been... my mind. I'm going to be honest with you. I haven't changed my mind. I'm just like it's. There's like a tripping penalty is black and white, but right. it should be black and white. Let's just say that it should be black and white, right? Um, but a goalie interference, it it it's not black and white. Like like we all the three of us on this call here could say that we don't think you know. I could think it's interference. You might not think it. Jacob might not think it is. So like there's no like it's there's nothing firm about it. Even when you watch the NHL and these guys all like I got you know like guys in the war room that that uh we'll shoot videos to every once in a while just because we want an answer from them and 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 i get videos from the nhl where they send their weekly stuff to the officiating department and sometimes i'm two for four to be honest with you like it's and i'm looking i go well how is this but they have a war room where it's the same guys over and over watching these videos and stuff where at the end of the day we have 20 some referees 30 referees that are watching this and might have a different might have a different view. And also we might not have the best camera angle, you know, even though we have the overhead, there might be some, some, um, some differences um, in opinions and everything else. And there's no black and white on goalie interference. Obviously we, the, the obvious ones where a goalie gets run over. I mean, that's easy, but like there's, there's different plays where it could go one, it could go either way to be honest with you. And we've had it all year. Uh, we've had it all year. Well, I mean, look, I, you know, I, I know I, I write a lot about officiating and I know it can sometimes come off as negative. You know, I, I want to say, and I, I've said this many times, I have the utmost respect for you and for officials. You know, I, I did it at a very low level for several years. You know, I get it's a thankless yeah. job, uh, you know, and I know it's, it's hard right now, not just in hockey and all sports to yeah. get people to, you know, submit to being an official because they're, you know, they get so much crap from fans, from parents, from players, from coaches, everything. So, so I do get it. And I, and I'm sure that, um, you know, you're feeling the pressure like everybody these days. Are are there things that you feel can be done, you know, right now to, to strengthen the officiating in the ECHL? Do you like where it's at right now? Is there anything that's in the works to, to improve things? Well, I do. I mean, we, we had some veteran, you know, we, we had some veteran guys returning um, this year. We've, we, I mean, also have, you know, new guys, new guys coming in. Um, I mean, we work just so you know, we work hand in hand with, you know, the American league on officiating. Um, there's probably 11 to 
15 of our guys that are working in the American League, a bunch of our linesmen, our, our guys that are working in the apartments, everything else. Um, we, we have a linesman right now that worked um, last night in Rochester in the American League. Um, a couple referees worked in the playoffs um, that we have one guy left still working in our playoffs, which um, uh, and Jack Young, who's, who worked in the American League. I think he worked into the second round or whatever last round was considered, if it was second round or whatever it was. Um, so we do work with them. It's just a matter of trying to, I mean, I, I don't know where we get them from. Um, you know, we're going to the USA Hockey, hoping that they develop the Canadian Junior Leagues and everything else. Um, the system is, and, and I said this last time, and I, I don't want to get myself in trouble, but the system kind of got, you know, and, and I know you brought it up on the last call. Like, we used to be the league where they started. Um, and, you know, we had a great run of, you know, I don't know how many is 10, 12 guys that I had hired that went to the NHL and, you know, guys who worked at Stanley Cup Finals last year where they developed here. And now it's kind of the, the developments part of it has got, and this is a big, this is a bit, big pet peeve of mine. So I'm going to be pretty honest with you on this, that like we got, you know, you got guys that, listen, former players are fine. We hired Riley Brace this year. He was a former player, gave him a shot, everything else. And, and he worked probably his first, maybe 10 games in our league. And then he went to the American league and did well, went to the playoffs and everything else um, this year. But I think you need to start here. Um, but at the end of the day, the NHL is paying American league money to, for the officiating staff. So we don't get money from the, the, from the NHL, from, from officiating side of it. So that's why guys are finishing playing maybe this year. And next year they're refereeing or linesing in the American hockey league. Is it right? Does it put the guys in, in right spots? Um, I'll argue it doesn't. Um, I've been around long enough. I've developed enough officials um, that they need to learn at our level. And if you're going to see something, you're going to see it at the ECHL. I mean, that's for sure. And it's going to help you. Um, our problem is, is that we, we put, we're able to put a guy like Riley Brace last year into the ECHL because we had two referee systems. So he was able to get his feet wet in the two referee system. If we put him in Fort Wayne in a Fort Wayne Toledo game on a Friday night in Fort Wayne, we're not helping him one bit, right? Like we're not, he's not going to develop. So that's why they're, they're putting guys there where they can put him into a two referee system. Our two referee system now to 25% is, is going to help us. And, and hopefully as we go into the off season here, we're going to be able to maybe get some more work with uh, the NHL a little bit to get some, uh, some prospects that we can put in the two referee games next year to develop them. And, uh, but we can't develop a referee in a one referee system that's never refereed a hockey game before. And that's, that's kind of the, that's kind of the problem. I mean, one suggestion I've had, and, and I, I, you're going to tell me I'm wrong. I, I want to know why is um, in the playoffs, when you have the two referee system, why don't you keep the pairs together? Like why do they split up from game to game? We, we try to, to a certain degree, but I mean, when you look at the, when you look at the playoff dates and the games and the locations, it's almost, it's, you know, when we go to like the outposts, like we'll go to um, like in Idaho for the first two games, like we'll have the same referees there because we're not going to send three guys there. But when we're in like the central part where we have like, you know, Cincy Toledo playing there, there four way, like those games in that area and in, in Indy where there's games on like a Tuesday, Thursday, like, so there's, there, it's more the date wise where we can't, we got to move guys around a little bit. Um, like this round now, guys are paired together um, for from start to finish, well, at least through games, probably through game five, unless somebody has a hiccup, which you know, hopefully we don't have. 
And then when we get to the finals, the same guys will be paired together as well. We've had a couple guys where we've paired together because they've been working really well together and we've kept them there. Um, we've had kind of the yin and the yang, so it's kind of offset with each other. It's been great. Um, but other guys where we might put in a younger guy with maybe a veteran guy because he's working his first maybe playoff for uh, playoff game. Um, but it's kind of hard because we got guys going to the American League as well. Um, you know, some guys have jobs where they can't work all those uh, those those games and everything else. So that's where it kind of runs into a little bit of a, a problem. Sure. Yeah. Joe, I'm just curious. Uh, you know, there's been a bit of talk about potentially Utah being an NHL destination for Coyotes or another team or whatnot. What can you tell us about the the Utah sort of market um, with respect to the ECHL and, and just kind of hockey fans in general? Hang on, I think we lost Joe for a second here. I had to shut my door so I didn't make noise. So. No, all good. So I could ask you yeah. about, about Utah, right? So yeah. it's, you know, potentially could have an NHL team soon. Who knows? There's some interest. What could you tell us about that market just in terms of what it's been like at the ECHL level and just kind of the hockey there as a whole? Um, it's a great market. Um, I mean, it's a great city too. Um, it's, uh, I mean, I, I'm hearing these rumors now. Um, yeah. I think I might see the coach um this weekend in idaho that's coaching utah i i'm gonna be perfectly honest with you i was just reading i think i was strolling through twitter a little bit earlier and it said you know what's your name for the utah nhl team and i'm like oh god like so i haven't even i haven't even mentioned anything to ryan like ryan's got enough stuff going on um i mean is are they gonna move there i don't know is phoenix gonna stay in phoenix uh, i don't know uh, but it's a it's a really good hockey market that they had i was on the ice in the old IHL and it was uh, back at Christ. It has to be like 96 or something like that. Justin, you would know with being in Fort Wayne, but when they won the, they won the couple titles there and stuff. So it's a, it's a really good hockey market. Um, would it support the NHL? I, I really don't know. They would have to move downtown to the, the downtown building where the, the jazz, uh, the jazz play. Um, they wouldn't play at the, uh, the Maverick center where we play. Um, but what would it do to our our team? I, I really don't know. Um, it'd be very interesting to see um, what's going to happen. But it's a it's a really good market. It's a beautiful it's a beautiful area um, with the mountains and, and everything else, Park City and, and all that stuff. So it's a beautiful city. But you know, would they support an NHL team? I, I I'm not really sure um, on on that. It would be. It, I mean, listen, they put. What did they put? Maybe five thousand in there, and you know, night in, in our in our league. You know, now you're talking. You got to add another probably twelve thousand, and the tickets aren't going to be twenty twenty five dollars either. Right. So that would be the that would be the interesting part um, to that. But it's a beautiful city and a really good hockey market. Absolutely. Well, Joe, thank you so much for coming on, man. We really appreciate it, and just giving us your your insight and analysis of, of that call and in other matters. And we greatly appreciate it. I'm sure other listeners do as well. Yeah. Hey, no problem, guys. If you need anything else, let me know. All right. Thanks, what are you doing next week? Okay. <laughs> well, um, all right. Like, we'll give well, you a break. Joe. I have one day off. I think it is. And that's a, it's kind of a, uh, in between the travel and everything okay, else. Okay. Okay. Uh, we'll let you go. We'll let you go. Yeah. Scott free. We'll get you on yeah. soon another time. Thank okay. you so much, Joe. All right. If you need me to holler. Okay. All right, thanks, all right. guys. Yep. But thanks again to Joe for coming on the Utah thing. Like I actually, when he was just saying that, I, I never even really thought about it that, they probably wouldn't be playing where the Grizzlies play. So it'd be the Jazz Arena. It's a lot different. And yeah. scaling the ECHL to the – it's hard to kind of gauge like what it would be to an NHL market, I guess I'll say. Well, so, yeah, you, you 
got to understand the geography a little bit right now. So the Utah Grizzlies, the ECHL team right now, they play in West Valley City. They don't actually play in downtown Salt Lake City. Now, West How Valley, far is that? It's, it's very close. Um, it's been six to eight years since I've been there, but I, you know, we're just a, a matter of minutes. It's, it's not very far. That The arena where they play, the Maverick Center, is where they had the Olympic hockey when the Salt Lake Olympics were there. So, you know, it's a bit of a different animal because they would have to play downtown. Um, I'm personally a little skeptical about this whole thing. Like, I understand why people are pitching it. Um, You know, yes, I have seen uh, some hockey crazy times in in Salt Lake in my 26 years and, and seen them in a couple different leagues. But, you know, as it stands right now, it's obviously very basketball heavy. And it's very soccer heavy. A um, lot of soccer fans. So, you know, you're going to have to be penetrating a couple different markets there. Um, you know, I'm not sure, you know, people seem to be, you know, equating it to Vegas. I, I don't see that comparison in terms of, you know, right now there isn't a huge youth hockey infrastructure and all those built-in hockey fans. And I've seen people say, well, there wasn't in Vegas and look at the big success. Well, you know, that's a much different city than Salt Lake, like a much different city. Um, but I've warmed up a little bit to it because I've been thinking about this for, for 24 hours. I, I have warmed up a little bit to it. Um, you know, if, if they are able to, you know, make the changes that would be necessary uh, to get hockey into that arena, if you embrace a market like that, geographically, it does make some sense. I mean, I, you know, look, I, I'm a bit of traditionalist. It's hard for me to imagine a team in Salt Lake and not a team in Quebec. Uh, I've got some other markets that I would like better. I'd probably be a little hotter over Houston, for example. Uh, but I've warmed up a little bit to it. But does having the Grizzlies there right now somehow make a solid argument for NHL success? That I don't see. Uh, yeah, like they're, you know, they're nines in attendance, just over 5,000 a game, which is great. But as you kind of, as, Joe kind of mentioned too, different clientele, right? Those are people that are paying, you know, between 20 and $40, right? Like somewhat or 15 to, to 50. I don't know, like, but lower range compared to a couple hundred dollars. So there's yeah. a big difference there too, economically. Yeah. It's a, it's a much lower range. I mean, there's, there's a decent little fan base, but nobody's going to tell you that by, even by ECHL standards, totally. Utah is a particularly rabid fan base. There's sure. some things that I saw in Salt Lake that made me a little bit worried about how they take care of their sports facilities. The The Maverick Center was a little bit dated to me. The Game Ops was a little bit dated. This was many years ago, so it's probably improved since then. But I went and checked out uh, a bunch of the venues where they had the Winter Olympics before. It was kind of sad and run down, um, you know, so... Hopefully the market has changed a lot, you know, but I get why they're looking at it. I just don't know how much you can glean from the ECHL team and how that would correlate out there. But, you know, hey, maybe I'm wrong, you know. Absolutely. Let's uh, let's preview the conference finals matchups that we're currently in the midst of. Uh, Florida, Newfoundland, let's start. But let's before we get to the series as a whole, let's go to our prospect of the week, Tyler Irvine from Florida, who's on an AHL contract with Cleveland. 
Yeah, so I am bringing up the box score right here because he did something great. But before we get to that, uh, so he uh, he only played three regular regular season games, excuse me, this season with the Everblades. Uh, he had played eight games in the AHL with Cleveland. He had actually played 12 games in the ECHL with the Kalamazoo Wings, who did not qualify for the playoffs, which is why he was kind of assigned to Florida for a playoff run, get some more experience. Not a big guy, five foot eleven. He's 27 years old. He was a Merrimack College guy. I believe he was the captain there. Um, he's uh, uh, the games that I've watched with him. He has more speed than I expected for some reason. Uh, he is getting behind the defense a lot, and he's got a really good nose for the net in terms of rebounds, um, you know, finding loose pucks, just finishing. Um, so what I wanted to talk about, so look at some of these stats. He's got in 12 playoff games this year, he's got seven goals and 10 points. But where he really stood out and why I picked him as prospect of the week is what he did in the series clinching game against the Jacksonville Icemen. Now, first off, let's give Jacksonville some credit as, uh, as Joe intimated here. Um, they were down three to nothing. Uh, in that series, then came back and won uh, two games at Estero, Florida, where the Everblades play. And then uh, the Everblades win the decisive game 5-2. to two. And in that game, Irvine has a hat trick. He scores the first goal, 9-13 into the first period. Uh, I believe that was a rebound. Then he had a really nice goal where he kind of broke out, got behind the defense, just finished, and then he had a late empty netter. So to come through with a hat trick in a decisive game like that after it felt like Jacksonville had captured all of the momentum in this series, I thought was pretty impressive. Um, you know, Florida, on paper, they're the biggest surprise to still be playing right now because they're uh, a low seed, but they're, de they're the defending champs. And it's like, you, you sort of look back, and it's like you never can sleep on the defending champs and how much that experience is going to help them. Uh, another Florida player that I think deserves some recognition is Oliver Chow. He had three goals and seven points in that series against Jacksonville. And a couple Iceman player, Christopher Brown and Derek Lodemeyer, they had four goals apiece. So that's why we have Irvine, but now we're looking at just a monster series in the Eastern Conference Finals between the Everblades and the Newfoundland Growlers. This is the third time that they will be meeting in the playoffs. Uh, last year, obviously, Florida won in five games. In 2019, when the Growlers won the Cup, they took down the Everblades in only five games. So right now, interesting series. Newfoundland coming off a whopper of a five-game uh, series victory over the Reading Royals. You may remember that was a team that I thought was a legit cup contender and Newfoundland dominated them uh, even without Zach O'Brien, maybe the best player in the league. He got injured in the first round, not sure when or if he's going to return for this series, uh, but they were continuing to just, uh, you know, chug along with uh, uh, Johnny Tachanik and Pavel Gogolov. Um, Dryden McKay looked pretty good. I I'd like to see his save percentage get up a little bit. But they were definitely the better team uh, against Redding. So this is going to be a good series against Florida. Idaho versus Toledo in the other conference. 
a series we expected and uh, it should be quite the exciting tilt going forward. Yeah, I mean, so this is, if you're an ECHL fan, this is probably what you were wanting to see because you've got unquestionably the best team record-wise in almost every statistical category from the regular season with the Idaho Sealheads. But the Toledo Walleye, if you look at the second half of the season, they were just almost dominant. Um, you know, long stretches of wins. Uh, both these rosters absolutely stacked from top to bottom. Toledo got back a bunch of guys from Grand Rapids of the AHL, so that certainly helped them. Uh, so Idaho coming off a five-game victory over the Allen Americans. Um, that was an interesting series. It's exact. It was exactly what we talked about. Idaho's great defense versus Allen's uh, superb offense. And defense wins hockey games, especially in the playoffs. That's what we saw there. Now, Toledo, they are the only team in the playoffs undefeated. They rolled through Indy. They rolled over Cincinnati. I thought Cincinnati might give them a little more trouble. But after that seven-game series with Fort Wayne that we just talked about, I just don't know how much gas they still had left in the tank. And here's the thing about both Idaho and Toledo. Special teams is key, key, key. Now, this is a bit of a deceptive statistic because Toledo, and we talked about this last week, had a major power play in, I believe it was game one, where they scored four power play goals. But in the playoffs, the walleye on the power play are 39.5% effective. Idaho, still impressive, but it doesn't seem quite as good, 26%. So... I mean, there are so many factors in this series. You're going to see great goaltending. Now, Toledo has got two of them, Sebastian Cosa, John Lethemann. Both those guys have been spot on in the postseason. Uh, they were both very good in the second half of the regular season. Idaho has been riding Adam Scheel in these playoffs. He has been exceptionally good as well. Uh, a couple players I'd like to mention, Gordy Green of the Walleye. He's got six goals and 14 points in the playoffs. Very deep roster. I mean, it could be anybody with Toledo, whether it's Brandon Hawkins one night or Trenton Bliss the next night. You just never know with those guys. Uh, Idaho, Wade Murphy is a guy that has really been standing out for them. He's got nine goals and 14 points in 11 games. Against Allen, he had seven goals and 10 points in a five-game series. So a lot of players rolling on all cylinders. But one last thing I want to mention, Toledo – has not really been tested much in these playoffs. Obviously, they're undefeated. But, you know, they've had, you know, really the best from start to finish in both their series. You'll remember Idaho in the first round got majorly tested by Utah, and that was not something that we expected at all. So they feel a lot more like a battle-hardened team right now because of all the things that they've gone through. So going into the playoffs, you might remember, I picked Toledo to win this series. Part of my feeling was, Idaho has not met a team like the walleye all season long. I still feel that way. I still feel Toledo's going to win it, but I am much less optimistic about that call right now because I like the way that Idaho rebounded from the first round test to take down an Allen team that I think probably would have beaten almost any other team in the league. So it's going to be two great series. Um, Tough to call either of them, really, because they've all got things going for them. 
don't want another Wichita in six situation. That'd be too bad. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Well, we already have that because I picked the, the, the stingrays, the stingrays to win it and they went out in the first round. You're right. But, you're right. but I've been, pr I've been pretty spot on since then. Just, just South Carolina and Redding are those two teams that. Uh, Otherwise you're a bullseye. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, according to Joe Ernst, uh, there's probably going to be a lot of bullseyes on me, huh? <laughs> And uh, all right. Well, I think that's it for today's show. Again, I said it a couple times, but really big thanks to Joe Ernst. That was awesome. I think that that'll, whether you agree or disagree, as Jessica said, I think that there's a lot to be said for someone like that to come on and explain the part and have some transparency. So kudos to uh, Joe for that. And uh, yeah, that's, that's it for this week. We'll see you see next week for the show.